0: If you dare, this is The Run Line, VSIN's premier baseball betting show. With Adam Burke, here's Ben Wilson.
3: Welcome back in. It is hour number two of The Run Line on a Sunday night from downtown Las Vegas, our Circa Sportsbook Studio. Alongside Adam Burke, you see his work every single day on VSIN.com, handicapping the MLB. I'm Ben Wilson. We're watching a good old-fashioned pitchers duel in Atlanta. Nothing, nothing, bottom of the sixth. First time Spencer Strider has gone at least six innings, and he did so by getting a force out of Freddie Freeman at home, then striking out Justin Turner after they were second and third one out, and the score remains at him. Nothing, nothing. Our live total down to three and a half, heavy juice to the under. And on the other side, it clearly is yet another night where the regression that appears to be impending for Tony Gonsolin is not yet coming as he has scattered just four hits here working into the bottom of the sixth.
2: Yeah, Strider did give up 11 hard hit balls. So he was hit a little bit hard in this start, but, you know, that's the big thing about contact. It gets hit at somebody or it doesn't. And, you know, for Strider, really the sixth was the only inning that he ran into trouble with the two guys in scoring position and one out. But did give up 11 hard hit balls. The Dodgers did hit some balls hard. And look, these are very important things because, you know, and I've talked about this with the Braves in the article and I will continue to do so. When they had that 14 game winning streak, they played a bunch of bad teams, pitchers that don't generate swing and miss. You know, in this series against the Dodgers, they've faced some guys that can generate swing and miss, and we have seen that offense struggle for the most part.
3: And that's certainly continued into tonight. So amongst a week in baseball where we saw a combined no-hitter in the Bronx thrown by three pitchers for the Astros, we have seen a bunch of very significant injuries. We've had a lot of fun talking College World Series, some ridiculous streaks in independent minor league baseball. Adam, we even had a brawl today, which happened a couple hours before we were coming on the show here, Mariners-Angels, and it appeared to stem from, at the very least, Phil Nevin, the interim manager there in L.A., threw an opener today, which kind of allowed him to have some leeway, at least, when it came to having his pitcher being a guy, and that happens as Jesse Winker for the Mariners gets hit, starts a brawl that has eight different players ejected, delays the game by 20 minutes. That was I was right up there with that Reds-Cardinals brawl from years back when, remember that? yadi Molina ended up... Almost remember, they get they went into the the screen right in front of home plate, and fans were like getting, fans were having players fall onto them during the brawl. That was that easily takes the top spot for our most ridiculous brawl so far of 2022. Yeah, for sure. I mean, uh, Anthony Rendon
2: throwing forearm shivers with a cast on, uh, throwing some left jabs out there. Was, I love just the
3: uh, like you, you look to it, it's you know, Winker gets in there, and he's just like doing that, just the, the straight up, like, I don't care, I'm just starting, I'm firing from both ends. It was great. <laughs> It, it was, was great. a lot was happening.
2: Uh, I mean, and, and also, too, Andrew Watts, the starting pitcher for the Angels, threw behind Julio Rodriguez in the first inning. And he probably should have been run right then and there. But we did have a very young, I think also rookie home plate umpire. And he was clearly overwhelmed by the moment. So this was something that had kind of been building between these two teams. And frankly, probably just you know, some letting out of frustration from the Angels, who once again appear to be squandering. Shohei Otani and Mike Trout—you mm-hmm. know, you got two of the three best players in the American League—and you know, fall short of the playoffs again. But a, a good brawl, and like I, I tweeted uh, at, at my buddy at MLB Dream, I love how the bullpens were running in, but the bullpens were like intermixed. Like you had Mariners guys running next to Angels guys. Nothing happening with any of them until <laughs> they get to the main fight. As is it always was fascinating. The
3: case. Yeah, there's the 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 just. The general breakdown of how a Major League Baseball brawl takes place is amazing. But give kudos to Raisa Iglesias, who (laughs) throws an empty tub of sunflower seeds. Like, why not just pick up the full, you know, just pick up the full tubs, get the seeds everywhere, and then also throws a bucket of gum onto the infield. That was great. Uh, The first four hitters in Seattle's lineup get tossed. Three Angels pitchers were tossed. So my mind naturally goes to, oh, there there must have been some sort of in-game angle, but In the end, that game kind of devolved into a whimper, just like both of these teams this year. 2-1 final. Angels win is a short favorites game, stays way under. And both teams continue to be uh, wild disappointments outside of when they give us entertainment like this, basically.
2: And and something to mention here about the Mariners, I presume Eugenio Suarez, who wasn't ejected from this game, but was very active in the brawl. uh, He was actually being held back by an Angels coach who... Must be the strongest man alive because Suarez was <laughs>
3: chomping was, at the bit. To, he ch- was is going. it chomping
2: at the bit or champing at the bit? It's definitely chomping. chomping. chomping okay. get that, let's get that straight. Yeah. So, I mean, he was trying to get in there. You know, you had Winker who was ejected, who's probably going to end up getting suspended. And also over the weekend, the Mariners lost Ty France. And Ty France is a guy who's really been swinging the bat well here so far this season. I actually wrote it down. 316 average, 390 on base, 476 slugging, 157 WRC plus for mm. Ty France. He goes out this weekend for the Mariners. So their lineup is already down a peg. Now they're going to lose some of these guys at some point in a game later this week. The market may not be able to adjust enough to that line move. J.P. Crawford was in there throwing punches. He's been really good for them, too. He was ejected. So uh, there's some guys for the Mariners that are really going to be missed later on this week. And the France injury is a big one to begin with for a team that... Doesn't have
3: a whole lot of great offensive pieces to start with. Angels thirty-five and forty. M's thirty-four and forty. And the Mariners You've
2: got a guy who hits four hundred and sixty-foot home runs and can strike out double-digit guys. And you're thirty-five and forty, along with having yeah. Mike
3: Trout. And you have a compelling case that he should be named MVP once again, which every, is, single yeah, every single year, every single year. I don't. I. I mean, look. At, at some point, heads have to roll over
2: that, right? Like, I think the problem think? stems from Artie Moreno, the owner. But at some point, like, I, I don't know what they do, but you
3: cannot keep missing the playoffs when you have guys like Otani and Trout. You would think more than one head, yeah, which has rolled so far in, uh, in Joe Madden. But uh, the Mer- it's a shame that the Mariners don't play tomorrow because you could maybe take advantage of this in the betting market. We'll see how that impacts the line when they host the Orioles, who come to Seattle Actually, they do play tomorrow, so never mind. We'll see what the line ends up being, and you see the numbers now on Otani. He's back down to plus 350. He was as high as about plus 5.5 to 1. A judge, though, still a minus money favorite to win that award. Meanwhile, on the Angels side, and again, we'll get into our our full Monday breakdowns uh, coming up. Angels start a home series against the White Sox, who had themselves. That'll be tomorrow for the Angels, who have had themselves. uh, It's just been a comedy of errors all season, and the latest in the... In the hilarity of headlines coming out of the South Side, was Tony La Russa admitting to reporters yesterday that they, as a organization now at the big league level, have instructed their players to stop running out routinely hit ground balls. Something that I'm, you know, I'm sure for some of Tony La Russa's former contemporaries, the Bobby Coxes of the world, would be <laughs> would just be beside themselves uh, knowing about that if they were still managing in the game today. But the reality is there are 10 different guys on the I.L. for the White Sox, most of them very significant contributors. And the stance from the White Sox is essentially, uh, we need to stop getting guys hurt with soft tissue injuries while trying to leg out routine ground outs. Have you ever seen anything like this before? Because I I cannot remember an occasion where, especially in modern baseball, where a manager has has blatantly said, do not hustle on the routine plays because too many of you are getting hurt trying to hustle. Yeah, I mean...
2: (laughs) You, you, you've. I think you've seen it. You just haven't seen it talked about as like publicly. This obvious and public. Yeah, yeah. As, as obvious as this is. And look, they get on Moncada back tomorrow from a hamstring injury. They got two other guys, Adam Engel and Eloy Jimenez, who are both on the IL with hamstring injuries. So, a trainer will probably be fired at, at some point for this team.
3: But and that, now that's the fall guy. Right? That, yeah, that's the <laughs> just fall guy. Fire the, right. strength and yeah. conditioning coach. the strength yeah. and
2: conditioning coach has got to go. Clearly, not doing the proper hamstring rub before the game. Right. Game's yeah. The, the guy who needs to go is oh, Tony LaRusso. But, uh, you know, look, also, too, I mean, you have a, a lot of guys on this team that have been injured quite a bit. You know, whether they've run into walls, whether they've climbed over the wall and injured shoulders, uh, you know, all kinds of different stuff. From, from a handicapping standpoint, I don't really think this matters a whole lot just because. I don't think guys should run out routine ground balls anyway, like because of that risk. You know, you, you either run the risk of, you know, kind of having something explode on you out of the batter's box or you're trying to run it out. And we saw Manny Machado slip off of first base. That's how he wound up rolling his ankle and, and coming up with that. I mean, look, you hit a ground ball that gets converted into an out 90% of the time,
3: 95% of the time. It is what it is, you know? So well, you bring up a great point where if, like Kevin Cash came out in spring training for the Rays, say, next year and said, you know what, this year if you see a guy hit a ball hard right at an infielder, they'll are just gonna they they'll slowly jog down to first. And we would probably be lauding it as this great advanced metric analytical decision that was part of the new wave cutting edge of baseball. But because it's Tony La Russa and he gives us endless things to make fun of him over, this has become yet the latest part of a laughingstock season so far for the preseason division favorites in the White Sox year. Clear division favorites at that. I mean, two dollar favorites. Yeah. Look, you and I were talking during the break. I mean, you know, you got
2: five games head to head with the Twins and Guardians. You've got Chicago at thirty five to one behind us to win the World Series, and and obviously this team doesn't look like they're going to be able to do that. But you know, I mean, I think the division is is there for the taking if they can get healthier. And maybe this is part of their grand initiative to get healthier. Is just don't run anything out. But the, the problem is also too. I mean, they're kind of a station to station type of team anyway. You know, so mm-hmm. there's just there's not a lot of athleticism on this ball club. And and that's something that I've kind of noticed with Cleveland, and I, I even tweeted about this last week when they were kind of going on, you know, a, a little bit of a run there. They are far more athletic than they used to be. You know, they've got guys that actually make plays in the field, they've got guys that can go first to third, they got some guys that can steal bases as well. Maybe the game is just kind of trending that way where the you know the power hitter, station to station, you know, type of guy. Is I don't want to say being phased out, mm-hmm. but you know, what the Guardians or even a team like the Mets, you know, Pete Alonso's a station to station guy. But other than that, they got a lot of first to third guys. They've got gap to gap guys, stuff like that. And we see what they're doing offensively. Maybe maybe the game's just gonna start evolving a little bit more that way
3: into trying to have more athletic players out there. Right. And you saw too a second ago, the odds now in the AL Center, those are the longest we've seen mm-hmm. on the White Sox at a plus one seventy-five mark right now. I'm seeing them just updated to the second here, plus 170, Twins plus 145, Guardians plus 215 after the results today. But that's the first time we've really seen the White Sox drift past that plus 150 mark. And there is a former pitcher of theirs we're going to talk about next who is back in the major leagues, Adam. Betters rejoice at the return of this one lefty who has been horrible, and at least he cashed another over today if you were betting that way in his first start with his new team. We'll discuss that next. Got to update things in the Sunday Night Baseball game because we have seen a run. This deadlock has been breached. Tony Gonsolin gives up a base hit to Marcelo Zuna. Travis Darno scores. It is one zip Braves in the bottom of the six. We'll update you on that live line coming up next. And then it's time to get into real or fake. A White Sox pitcher will be on our list. We discuss next on The Run Line.
1: Welcome
3: back in. It is the run line from V Sin, the sports betting network. We're with you every Sunday night, eight to ten Eastern, right here from our downtown Las Vegas Circus Sportsbook studio. And Adam Burke, who writes a daily MLB write up, it'll be coming tomorrow, and we'll discuss all of the top games here in about a half hour. What we have to do before that, though, Adam, I'm really excited for our defensive metrics discussion because we've had the conversation in the past, but we haven't really been able to frame it around anything concrete. So we'll talk best defensive teams and how that can impact your day to day handicapping. We will also do the real or fake segment here in just a moment, which is one of our, our time-honored traditions. And when I say time-honored, that means I, it goes back a whopping three months. But that's still time-honored. Time-honored by our standards. By our standards, it very much is. I did want to make sure we mention the return, though, of the to the major leagues of one Dallas Keuchel. I feel like we need an ode to Dallas, as there have been a couple pitchers this year Joanna Dunn for the Nationals comes to mind. Guys who have been so abysmally awful all season that you can count on them either to just blindly fade them in the market or blindly bet team total overs or just blindly bet both of those things overs and against them in general. We saw Keichel, who for some reason, and I get, you know, for the Diamondbacks, you understand it, right? They, they had a very good start to their season pitching wise. You talked about that, Adam, and, and their, new, uh, their new identity as a staff under a new pitching coach. But injuries have really ravaged that staff. They sign uh, Keuchel to a minor league contract at the start of June. 7.88 ERA in 32 innings with the White Sox, but he gets picked up and actually makes his Diamondbacks debut today in a game against the Tigers. I saw this. uh, I'm just making sure I have the right total here because I saw this thing. It opened eight and a half. Got but it was some some shops had eight and a half over juice. Some had nine under juice. And I'm thinking, uh, Adam, it's Dallas Keuchel. He's back. We can, we can bet overs here, and the final score, he actually got, his team got the win, but an 11-7 final over Detroit, and uh, he's back at him. More opportunities to bet overs, and potentially, even though he won today, against Dallas Keuchel. Uh, you just wonder, though, like, the team really has to stoop and be in desperate need of arms if it is going that low on a guy who's just had nothing all season.
2: All right, so let me play devil's advocate. Let oh, me try.
3: Oh, no, no, what? Let me,
2: let me try here. Okay, you really so, gonna do that? so Dallas Keichel, right? When he got really good, he was with Houston. Who's the pitching coach in Arizona? Brent Strom, formerly the pitching mm-hmm. coach of the Houston Astros. So, yeah. this is something that Brent Strom probably requested, probably feels like there's something that they can do with Dallas Keuchel. Now, whether or not something actually gets done, I don't know. And obviously, it's not a good look when you don't pitch super well against the Detroit Tigers, who have a very bad offense. But in this start today for Keuchel, 15 whiffs on 46 swings, 33% swing and miss rate is quite good. And also, something really interesting here and something to keep in mind. So this season, he's thrown the sinker 46.6% of the time, change up a little under 27%, and the cutter about 17%. Today, he threw his cutter 34% of the time. So this appears to be the adjustment for Brent Strom and Dallas Keuchel, is they're going to throw the cutter more, they're going to take away from the sinker, throw some more change-ups, of course, the change-up of pitch that he would use against right-handed batters. So it's all going to come down to the cutter effectiveness for Dallas Keuchel, because it looks like that's going to be the adjustment, and it's something that they've done with Madison Bumgarner, who's also throwing a cutter quite a bit here so far this season. Bumgarner's a guy who's outperforming his advanced metrics, his hard-hit percentage is pretty high, uh, he's a guy that you kind of worry about day in and day out, but it looks as though that will be the adjustment for Dallas Keuchel now under the tutelage of Brent Strom. Once again, I know people made fun of the fact that his two rehab quote unquote rehab starts were in rookie ball. That was just so he was close to Arizona, right? So he didn't go and, you know, pitching some I'm not making fun of him town. for that, Adam, I'm right. just making fun but, of him
3: for everything else.
2: Understandable, but that will be the difference. That will be the change here will be increased cutter usage for Dallas Keuchel. So, Keep that in mind. If you've got a team that doesn't hit the cutter particularly well, maybe Keiko can have more success. But they're going to do some different things with his arsenal. We'll see if they're successful now that he's reunited
3: with Strom. That's a great point to make, certainly long-term. You could you would certainly imagine that there could be some improvements. I would just say, and today, four and a third, four runs, all earned six hits, three walks, did strike out seven. Some of the swing and miss numbers Adam pointed out. But his next start goes to Coors. Yeah, not great. So That's just, not great. Keep but only- that in mind. I mean, you have you get you get Keuchel in Coors next weekend. Uh, that you could not make that total high enough. I'm not sure who will be going, who lines up currently for, for Colorado in that matchup. But that's again one of those in the short term things. I think you, you certainly could be onto something here over the next few months. And they'll they they need arms desperately in Arizona, but at least in the short term, you still haven't really seen much, even though there have been the slight improvements to really you know like what you're seeing there. Well, to be fair, I mean, it also makes for better audio for me to to try and go against you other than Look, saying, well, Dallas Keuchel's terrible. It is a very <laughs> is a very gallant effort by you, Adam. Not many people could make that argument actually sound coherent, but, I mean, you certainly can. Well, I tried. Props, and, and, and also, too, something else to keep an eye on with
2: Keuchel here, quick hook in the fifth inning. Gave up the walk to Wiley Green. J.B. Wendelkin comes in, gives up another walk, then gives up a three-run homer, so one of those runs goes on Keuchel's ledger. But, you know, again. They're probably going to try and do something akin to what the Twins have done with Chris Archer, make him like a four inning guy. Because I mean, Luke Weaver's come back and he's been absolutely positively horrible for Arizona here this season. They're pr- they're trying to protect some young arms. They're not going anywhere, right? I mean, you're not going they're anywhere not. for a long time playing in the NL West when you've got the Dodgers and the Padres and the Giants and all that. So if they find something in Keichel, if they can get you know four or five decent starts out of him, maybe spin him. For you know, a lottery ticket, something like that at the trade deadline. Maybe Keiko becomes a guy with that cutter that all of a sudden becomes a guy you can use in a sixth and seventh inning role. You know, something like that for a contender who looks at him and says, Oh yeah, this guy's got enough to kind of bridge the gap between a starter we pull early and our actual good relievers. I there's a method to the madness, mm-hmm. is, is what I'm trying to say here. Maybe the method doesn't work and maybe it is all madness, but you know, at, at least today we saw them try something different with him. And maybe that'll be good enough.
3: And at least give Arizona credit. A team that had a win total, of 62 and a half coming in. They're on a 72-win pace now. And 33 and 41, really difficult division. Still, to outperform the metrics by that much, certainly impressive there in Arizona. We talk a former White Sox pitcher will now transition to a current White Sox pitcher whose struggles are not quite the same as Dallas Keiko, but it, it is pretty significant in the struggle department right now. Lucas Giolito is he riding the struggle bus or what and we have to decide now Adam is Lucas Giolito a guy who is real or fake in one of our favorite recurring segments so what say you when you look at the numbers here for Giolito and the massive drop-off we've seen in 2022
2: well this is a good one because usually we do this real or fake or the regression report thing and the guy pitches like Friday or Saturday something like that right before the show Lucas Giolito pitches tomorrow against the Los Angeles Angels And Giolito on the season here in 12 starts, over 63 in a third innings, 468 ERA, or excuse me, 540 ERA, 509 FIP. The strikeouts are still there, but the command hasn't been. The walk rate's up a little bit, giving up a lot of hard contact. In fact, I kind of looked at him and did a little bit of a deep dive last week, and it felt to me like there was some sort of underlying injury here, or if nothing else, he just hasn't really had a feel for the changeup so far this season. And when you look at him from 2019 to 2021 and also with pitching coach Ethan Katz, who was his high school pitching coach, they're very good friends. Katz had a lot to do with Giolito really taking off from 2019 to 2021 where he had a 347 ERA over more than 400 innings. I don't know if this is real or if it's fake for him, but the command profile right now looks really, really bad. So if it's not an underlying injury, there's something significantly wrong from a mechanical standpoint to where... It's been one of the things that's kind of held me back on taking this White Sox future that we keep talking about week after week between the injuries and also mm-hmm. Giolito not pitching well. And then on Wednesday, he was awful against Toronto.
3: And you could look at this, and as we've started to discuss, now that we have a lot of data on a number of these pitchers, it's not like there are very few scenarios now at this point in the year, June 26th, where pitchers are just like obvious regression candidates in one way or obvious or you know obvious positive regression candidates in another there's a lot of you know mixed variants here and Giulio is a pretty good example where I mean the the barrel percentage against is 12 percent the hard hit percentage is up near 47 if you combine the medium and hard hit contact which is by far the highest numbers of his career yet at the same time look 360 BAPIP 372 XFIP so this is a classic case of you're trying to kind of break down you can be stuck in between two minds. At least, I don't know how you evaluated Adam, but for me, this is where the eye test comes in handy. And watching his last start, it it was one of the, that was a day game I was on air on betting across America. I think we were in the studio together watching that start. And just from the eye test, it looked like this guy has no idea where the ball's going, really no true fastball command. And as a result, the confidence kind of waned from there. So there are, there are signs at least to like that this should get better with a high bat pip and the and very low exit, but I'm not sure I can really get there when you mention the command, because that to me is the most important piece of this. If you're at least commanding the baseball, like some some things should go back to the mean here. But when you're walking guys consistently, I just can't get behind you. And we've seen this all year now from Giolito. Right. And for Giolito, home run to fly ball percentage
2: over 20%. He's given up 15 home mm. runs already in 63 and a third innings. That's I mean that's just astronomically bad. But also, too, something to point out real quickly, his pop-up percentage, infield fly ball percentage, 5.4%. That's 6% below his career average, almost about eight and a half, nine percent 9% lower than oh. last season. So there's something about his location. He's not changing yeah. the eye levels well enough. It's fixable, but right now, he's a guy pitching with zero confidence on the mound. Zero.
3: Zero. And the last two seasons, he has walked over 35 per 9 2018 when he had a 613 ERA and his rookie season 2016 when he had a 675 ERA so there's been a history there of really really bad years when he fails to command the baseball we have one other pitcher to talk about Jose Urquidy is he real or is he fake and we'll talk some defensive metrics next here on the run line
0: you found Visa's premier baseball betting show this is the run line
3: Ice cold beers, cold, hard cash. Join the action on the pitch with the Heineken 2022 Soccer Prediction Challenge. Compete in 20 free-to-play pools this season for your shot at a share of $100,000 in total cash prizes. Bet at DraftKings.com slash Heineken now to start your run at victory. Heineken, beer made better. 21 and over only. Terms and conditions and other eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for details. Drink responsibly. One injury update to pass along as we're back with Adam Burke. I'm Ben Wilson. We saw Jack Flaherty only go two innings, 49 pitches. My initial thought was, yeah, they're still kind of working him back as this was only his third start after beginning the season on the injured list there for St. Louis. As the Cardinals ultimately blow a five-run lead today, lose the rubber game of that three-game set to the Cubs at home, 6-5 in 10 innings. But Flaherty apparently now, reports are coming out, he left that game with right shoulder stiffness. The St. Louis Post-Dispatch, their beat writer, saying it is a dead arm, which uh, not exactly something you want to be tied to a core pitcher of your rotation, and I know you were looking at his velocity numbers here uh, during the break. Yeah, his velocity was down a little bit today, although that's something that can
2: happen when you work deeper innings as well. You know, you kind of start losing some of your velocity as that pitch count goes up in an inning, but for Flaherty, five swings and misses on 24 pitches today. Fastball was down about a half a mile per hour. Spin rates were up, though, so nothing in terms of the the under-the-hood data that would suggest that there's an injury there, but obviously, you know, leaving early with the report of right shoulder stiffness and Dead arm is is never a good thing, and look, you know, for Flaherty, a guy coming back from a major injury anyway, like that whole ramp-up process, the rehab and recovery process and all that, that does put a strain on the arm, and he's kind of basically going through, like, the early part of, of the regular season for him now, and you do end up with some of that dead arm period for guys that even aren't coming off of injury, but for Flaherty here, you know, a guy who, uh, when he's good, he's really good, and
3: that's a concern for the Cardinals going forward. And let's keep in mind, a guy has not thrown more than 80 innings since 2019. So part of that, the truncated 2020 season, but he really never got it going even last year, even though he was brilliant, as you mentioned, when he did pitch 9-2 and sub-330 ERA last year. But this is the, uh, the latest blow to a Cardinal staff that today fall back a game behind the Brewers in the NL Central. Latest updated odds there in the NL Central. Brewers now back to $2 favorites, Cardinals, Currently sits at plus 145. In the meantime, talking pitchers, we got one more pitcher to discuss in our Real or Fake segment this week. And we go to the young Astro hurler, Jose Urquidy. Amidst the pitching staff that has been tremendous, we discussed at the top of the show, led by Christian Javier, who started and really anchored a combined no-hitter of the Yankees with three different pitchers combining there. We've seen tremendous seasons out of Justin Verlander, Adam, making it back to the big leagues after a couple major Uh, injuries as a near 40 year old you've got some other really bright arms in that rotation Luis Garcia I've really been impressed with all year but what what about a guy in Urquidy who's kind of been the one guy amidst everybody Framber Valdez we we forget about mentioning him as well numbers have not exactly been sparkling and he kind of stands out like a sore thumb when you look at what the Astro pitchers have been doing otherwise really really impressive this year
2: Yeah, so for Jose Urquidy, it's kind of odd how much this sort of parallels what we're seeing with Lucas Giolito, where from 2019 to 2021, a much smaller sample size than Giolito, who had over 425 innings. Urquidy, from 2019 to 21, 177 and two-thirds, 355 ERA, 413 FIP. Now, he's a guy that throws a lot of strikes. He's around the zone quite a bit. He's a fly ball pitcher. He gives up home runs. That's why his FIP is much higher than his ERA, but... You know, 20.8% strikeout rate, that's solid. Very low walk rate, that's very good. This season, the walk rate remains low, but for Akiti, two huge differences. The first is his batting average on balls in play is 327. Last year, it was 237. For his career, it's 269. So a lot of balls in play becoming hits for him. Is that bad luck? Maybe, but also hard hit percentage, 45.5%. Barrel rate, 11.6%. Both of those very, very bad. With that being said, he's given up a lot of infield hits so far this year, and also, the home road splits for Jose Urquidy, off the charts. 28 and two-thirds innings at home, 251 ERA, 316 weighted on base average against. On the road, in 38 and two-thirds, 628 ERA, 391 weighted on base average against. So, he's a guy, we talk about Minute Maid Park really suppressing offense. He's pitched well at home. He's been quite bad on the road, and... The Astros are a really smart team, and that batting average on balls in play is not going to stay in the 320s. But with that being said, I I don't know how much improvement we actually end up seeing from Arkady unless he can get that hard hit percentage down and start commanding the baseball better.
3: And you looked at his – at least his previous three starts. There's at least sign of optimism there, three straight quality starts, and today against the Yankees, which Mm -hmm. has – and you talked about, the home road splits, that has been a real bugaboo for him, especially going – to hitter-friendly parks like a Yankee Stadium, but no decision today. Pitched pretty well, only struck out three Yankees, but really didn't give up a, a ton of hard contact in that start. Goes seven innings, just gives up one run. No decision as the Yankees ultimately walk it off there in the tenth inning to salvage a series split. So you wonder, like, does it start like that for still a relatively young pitcher? I mean, he came up with so young, Urquidy, when he originally got his start in the big leagues with the Astros. He's a guy who's, you know, look like still. I mean, he's, he's 27 at this point, but uh, for a guy who's been very, very active in the major league system here for Houston now for, uh, for some time and been in that organization a full four years now, coming right to the big league level as a 23-year-old, you wonder, does that give him a little more confidence, at least pitching pretty well today for all the struggles that we just mentioned today in Yankee
2: Stadium? You would think so, and also today his fastball usage up a little bit, 56%. and his last start against the Mets, his fastball usage was actually 69.2%. So what it looks like to me is that the Astros are going to try to get him to command the fastball better, and then also what they'll do off of that is, and we talked about this before and and what the Astros really like to do from a pitching standpoint, they throw a lot of top-shelf fastballs. They throw a lot of fastballs up in the zone to try and encourage that weak aerial Mm -hmm. contact that guys can go ahead and run under. So Urquidy's a guy that has thrown the fastball a lot throughout his career, But it looks like that's going to be the goal. They want to fix the fastball for him, try to throw it in different places, maybe pitch backwards a little bit, something like that. We'll see if they're able to have success with it. But generally speaking, if I'm looking for positive regression out of a guy and he pitches with a really smart organization, I I have a higher probability, a higher degree of likelihood that that takes place.
3: Especially if you trust the defense behind him, which generally has been very, very solid for Houston. And it leads us into our next discussion topic, which – We've kind of generally brought up at times, talking about specific pitchers, specific teams, Adam, but we haven't really gotten into the deep dive numbers on, all right, which teams actually are valued in the betting market based on their defense? And I know you crunched some of the numbers this week. And also, it kind of begins with what are you actually looking for? Because we've talked a lot about BAPIP and XFIP and WRC Plus and WOBA, but we haven't really talked into the actual defensive metrics that really do matter. And I know you've kind of honed in on a few of those this year.
2: Yeah, the the reason we haven't talked too much about defensive metrics is because they're very, very messy. They're they're very, very hard to quantify. You do have something like StatCast, which is based off of the Hawkeye tracking system, so that's all technologically based. You've got some other things like defensive runs saved that are kind of calculated by humans, by hand, uh, through the Fielding Bible and Baseball Info Solutions. So you get a lot of variance when it comes to these defensive metrics to the point where... The Yankees are number one in defensive runs saved, but they're 13th in StatCast's outs above average metric. So that's where you can kind of see some of these differences here and why it can be really challenging to sort of decide which of these defensive metrics matter the most. I like the DEF metric at Fangraphs. I think that's probably the most encompassing because that includes, you know, arm, range, catcher defense, particularly pitch framing, all of that. But I've also been incorporating the StatCast data in there because, I incorporate just about all of the Statcast data, yeah. so it's really important to figure out which teams are good defensively and which ones aren't. A team like the Guardians, for example, you know we've talked about some regression and their pitching metrics and all that. They're a really, really good defensive team in a lot of key areas, so that helps with run prevention in a very big way. We've talked a lot about the Phillies and how bad they are defensively. They grade poorly in every defensive metric. It doesn't matter what you're citing, so it's important to try to take a look at those and and. You know, maybe find the ones that you think are the most reliable. To me, I think stat outs above average and the DEF metric at fangraphs are the two that I would use. But it's a huge part of the game. It's almost like special teams in football. Yeah. Huge part of the game,
3: nobody talks about it. And I you know you looked at another team, like a Blue Jays team, who I, I watched very closely this weekend as they, they played the Milwaukee Brewers. And a classic team. <laughs> they had some stretches where they looked really, really good. Other stretches where they looked totally disinterested. And they had a couple pitchers – you say Kikuchi, who got lit up. Uh, Jose Barrios was awful again today. And the Blue Jays, as we show on the screen, third in the defensive run. Saved metric, but just 18th at fangraft. So yet another uh, team where you're kind of caught between two minds on when you look at defense.
2: Right, and something to keep in mind here, when you're studying these team defensive metrics, if you've got a low strikeout pitcher on the mound, he's going to be far more impacted by bad defense than a guy with a high strikeout rate. That makes sense, but it is something that you want to reinforce in your mind of... You know, for the Blue Jays, all the hard contact that Jose Barrios is allowing, right? That that's not a good match, or that you know, it should be a better match with that defense, but it shows you just how bad his command actually is. Yankees, same thing. You know, guys that pitch to contact are having success for them because they're so good defensively. So those are things that you really want to take into the equation across all of the games that you're handicapping.
3: Well, we have the Yankees in action tomorrow, one of nine games on the card, most of them with lines right now. The Yankees are going to be a three-dollar favorite. Not sure if we're interested in playing that game, but we have a plenty more to discuss. Some interesting pitching matchups, interesting spots for teams coming off of emotional weekends. We'll get into all the angles tomorrow as we wrap up the show. Monday MLB card coming up next. Our full breakdowns here on the Run Line.
2: You found Visa's premier baseball betting show. This is
0: the Run Line.
3: The VEASAN Summer Special is here for only $19. You get everything VEASAN has to offer from now to the end of July. Sign up today and you'll get VEASAN's daily best bets, including Adam Burke. I think that name rings a bell. His daily MLB plays, NFL off-season coverage, premium articles on golf, UFC, USFL, and NASCAR. And if you want the full VEASAN experience, which features a daily best bets, email every edition of Point Spread Weekly. Use of our betting tools and a live video stream whenever you want it. The cost is only $19 to be a subscriber through July 31st. Sign up now at com slash summer. Oh, yeah, that's right. I'm sitting next to Adam. That's why his name sounds familiar. I'm Ben Wilson. We're wrapping up the run line here on a Sunday night with Greg Peterson coming up next. The look ahead to follow us for the next three hours right here on Vsin from our downtown Circa Sportsbook Studios right here in Las Vegas. We just saw something. I don't know that I, I I've, I've seen this before, but it's very rare where the Braves have second and third. Nobody out bottom of the seventh up one, nothing. And Will Smith, the catcher on a, Throw down to third. Just hit Travis Darno's bat. Catcher throws the ball right off the barrel of the bat. That's one of those things like you see in Little League, but usually not in Major League Baseball. Yeah, we just saw
2: it. Usually not, but uh, this is getting very dicey here for the Dodgers. Two on, nobody out, both in scoring position uh, in, in this one-nothing game. that has been a good pitcher's
3: duel. It's been a fun game to follow along with, just not a whole lot of action to it. And live total, three and a half. That was heavy, heavy juice under. Now heavy, heavy juice over as Darno is at the plate, who's had a good night in the two-hole. Two for three for the Braves, again, second and third. Nobody out, bottom of the seventh. Both teams now into the pen, as the Braves look to take two of three. If they hang on, they'll get to within four of the Mets in the NL East. Greg, when he comes on, he'll have all the latest updates on that. He'll talk some Monday baseball card action. We also want to do that right now, because I I jokingly said going to break, Adam, that uh, Jordan Montgomery and the Yankees, they're a $3 favorite. Don't think we have any interest in betting Uh, Certainly that side, but you might be interested on looking the other direction there. Paul Blackburn, who does have a sub-3 ERA and has put up good numbers for an otherwise atrocious Oakland team this year.
2: Yeah, something I'm I'm kind of running through my head here a little bit might be the run line for Oakland, the plus one and a half here. Just thinking that, you know, for the Yankees, they're coming off that four-game series against Houston. They had two walk-off wins to bookend that series. They got no hit in between. Do they really show up here against Oakland? You know, I mean... Oakland, obviously, there's plenty of concerns with them. Their bullpen's not very good, so even hoping that they play a one-run game is a little bit scary, but the A's are a team that is far more competent on the road than at home, and I've joked that they're doing everything they can at home to get relocated to Las Vegas. Maybe that's tongue-in-cheek. Maybe it's not, but they've been a much more competitive team on the road, so, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, Blackburn not coming off of a very good start, so that concerns me, but, you know, plus one and a half at plus money may not be that... Bad of an investment on Oakland tomorrow.
3: I, you know, it's funny. You mentioned the the home run splits recently, and I was just looking this up. Look, and the last, so the last three starts for Blackburn on the road, eighteen and two thirds innings combined, two earned runs, and he went eight shutout in Cleveland a couple weeks ago. Went five and a third, gave up just one earned run in Fenway in his last road start. Meanwhile, his last three at home, in the potentially greatest pitcher's park of them all, right now. 15 earned in 14 and two-thirds innings pitched. Yeah. So he's he's really trying to live up to everything you're saying right there. And that that's pretty fascinating, too. It's not like he's facing bad teams on the road either. Boston, Cleveland, it was Seattle. One hit shutout over five and a third in, in that first of those three road starts. But you can't get much more – you can't have much more of a discrepancy, right, between home and road, especially for a guy who pitches in such a friendly park to be a pitcher at.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And also for Blackburn here, you know, really – the Yankees go as Giancarlo Stanton and Aaron Judge go, right? I mean, we've seen that throughout the course of this season, day in and day out. Blackburn holding right-handed batters to a 251 weighted on base average, a 207 batting average here this season. And that's not just at home in those pitcher-friendly conditions. He's actually been better on the road against right-handed batters, oddly enough. So eh, maybe one again at, at that plus money price, at plus one and a half, which also means you could probably find a plus two and a half at a relatively decent juice. Maybe a 125 125-ish. Uh, I'm seeing an MGM like minus 120 yeah. on plus two so, and a half. So even even that's wow. not really a bad bet, I don't think. Look at you.
3: Talking me into, <laughs> talking <you> into betting, <laughs> the betting the A's. Talking into betting the A's. Because that oh, never goes man. poorly. Uh, and I'm seeing it as high. We're showing the DraftKings number. As high as $3 at a number of shops in the Nevada. And, and to church. be fair, I mean, I guess if, if you know, I, I'm thinking about the plus one and a
2: half at plus 125, I I mean, at that point, maybe you sprinkle something small on the 3-1, mm-hmm. to one, you know, like a third of a unit to win, almost a full unit, something like that.
3: Why okay. not? Why not? Why not? Why not? We, we do have also a, a, a big, big divisional series that starts this week. It's the Guardians. It's the Twins. They're in Cleveland. They just faced each other in the midweek last week in Minneapolis, and we have a, another repeat of a pitching matchup where Sonny Gray and Tristan McKenzie, each of whom, relatively speaking, were shelled in that midweek start, they go right back to facing each other. This, this time, Adam, in a, a change of venue. You look at what McKenzie did in that last start. It did not go well. Six runs on nine hits over four and a third. But it was a no decision because Sonny Gray also struggled. Four runs, three earned on eight hits in just four-plus innings. And you see the first five total of four, overall total of eight. And the Twins catching some money here. I should say uh, laying a little bit of a price. Guardians a plus 105 home dog in this matchup.
2: Yeah. So Sonny Gray in his first eight starts of the season prior to that start against Cleveland, he'd only allowed nine runs. So he kind of ran into it a little bit in the fourth inning here of this one where he was actually cruising early. The stuff looked pretty good. It looked pretty lively, uh, but he gave up the the RBI triple to Stephen Kwan in the third, and then things kind of fell apart for him in the fifth. He gave up a home run to Austin Hedges. Uh, The defense kind of had some mishaps behind him as well. I Lean towards Gray and the Twins in this game. I'm not a big Tristan McKenzie guy. I know the numbers look pretty good. We talked about him on Real or Fake a couple of weeks ago where I said, you know, I I want to look to fade him in his next start. The price wound up being too high for me with the Twins at minus 150 or so uh, in that game where Tristan McKenzie faced them last series. But I I lean towards the Twins here in this one. Um, I think that Gray has more upside than McKenzie, especially with Gray kind of making some changes. He's usually been a sinker ball, ground ball type of dude. Now he's working up in the zone a little bit more, throwing a little bit more intent up there. Um, you know, I, I lean towards the Twins, but I don't know if this will be a play for me. Okay,
3: and looking again market wide, pretty much a, a blanket dollar twenty-five. DraftKings is the highest number right now at a dollar thirty-five on Sonny Gray and the Twins. We talked in our last segment about that injury that broke today after Jack Flaherty left his start early, experiencing shoulder stiffness, potential dead arm symptoms. Only goes forty-nine pitches. Only goes two innings. Cardinals had to use a ton of relievers today. They played a 10-inning game where were losers at home against the Cubs 6 to 5. They play tomorrow still at home against Pablo Lopez and the Marlins who didn't have to go very deep in the bullpen today. They won a pitchers duel 3 to 2 and it's Pablo Lopez. I'm seeing in the dollar 20 to 26 range as a, as a dog tomorrow and you get Adam Wainwright who's look at the, the numbers this year have been decent at times, but he's been inconsistent, 332 ERA, 424 expected ERA. But as you pointed out, Adam, tremendous at home, has really struggled on the road. So what are you looking at in a a matchup like this where you have a team in a pretty bad spot, like the Cardinals, but a pitcher who's been dynamite at Bush and Adam Wainwright? Yeah, and and this is a multi-year trend for
2: Adam Wainwright, being really good at home and not so good on the road. That's just kind of the way it's gone for him the last several years. Holding opposing batters to a 278 weighted on base average in 37 innings at home. What's interesting about this one is you have this Marlins team that's actually been a top five borderline or top ten borderline top five offense against right-handed pitching throughout the course of the season. But here you've got Wainwright, veteran guy, back at home, spot where he's very very comfortable, and you have Pablo Lopez on the other side. And, and Pablo Lopez is a guy that, you know, recently he's kind of had a couple of rough outings here and there. But to me, one of the angles I've been looking to play with the Cardinals is fading them against above-average right-handed pitching. Pablo Lopez absolutely classifies as above-average right-handed pitching. So this is what I'm kind of surprised this total touching eight in some places. Mm -hmm. I think seven and a half with maybe minus 115 towards the over is a good number for this one. This may be a first five under look for me here just because Wainwright is so good at home. And I think Lopez should match up well with the Cardinals.
3: Seeing one shop, actually a couple shops, offering eights, little juice to the under there, minus 15 to 20. We will not be able to fade. We've talked in the past fading some of these teams coming off Sunday night. Baseball can't do that with the Braves. They have an off day tomorrow. But the Dodgers go to Colorado, and it is a homecoming of sorts for one Tyler Anderson. Dodgers on the overnight, laying a $2 price here at Coors.
2: Yeah, I think if you can get an over an 11.5 at minus 115, that's probably not a bad look. Chad Cool's is a guy that I, I still don't know how he's performing the way that he is this season, and the Rockies are very good against lefties, very good at home against lefties. Tyler Anderson throws left-handed. He's had some pretty stressful outings here of late as well. So... That's one where I think if you find an 11 and a half tonight, I think 12 is probably the market-wide We're number tomorrow. We're seeing 12s already. Start I think 11 top, and a half, yeah. if you can get the over minus 115, that's probably a good look here tonight. And
3: finally, we talked Giolito earlier, Lucas Giolito, for the White Sox. He and Noah Syndergaard tomorrow. Uh, have fun with this one, Adam. <laughs> and Syndergaard is a favorite here for the Angels. Yeah, tough one. I mean, you know, I, I want to
2: back the White Sox in a dog spot here against Syndergaard, who I think is outperforming his true talent level. But...
3: Backing Giolito is, is impossible at this not point in time, exactly as we talked fun. about. I, this I feel strongly, though. This is going to be the week. We're finally going to get there, make a play on the White Sox divisional price, especially we might see that plus 180, plus 190 pop. Oh, boy. I think so. We've, ta- we've only talked about it the entire year. We're right. obligated to do it at this point. Anyway, we have more Monday discussion coming up next with Greg Peterson on The Look Ahead. But we say so long for now for Adam Burke, our producer Brian Ortega. I'm Ben Wilson. Another fun edition of The Run Line wraps up. You see us every Sunday night, 8 to 10 Eastern, right here on vSIN, the Sports Betting Network.
0: At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off, grand slam, or a base hit to center field.